Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Nick coming to you from the Houston Outpost. Almost a full week after the last Steelers game against the Patriots, and given the fact that it was a travesty of historic proportions, I think it's probably good that we all had a little time to cool off. But in all seriosity, what a game that was. What a game, what a loss to the Patriots. Obviously, that's kind of old news at this point. We have bigger, more global issues to talk about. Season is in an extremely dismal sort of holding pattern with us being forced into the purgatory that is watching Mitch Trubisky play. No offense to him personally. I know that that's really not possible for me to say those two things, but I do think having Mitch is sort of a special, it's a special brand of of sadness for us. You know, at least with, Nick Mullins on the Vikings, you can say. Remember that one time? Tommy DeVito, obviously, that's a privilege. You, know, you got something fun going on there. Uh, but Mitch, it is what it is. It's always been what it is. It, it's always been what it always has been, let's say that. And damn, does it pay to be a top 10 pick because you can just keep having the same game over and over again for your entire career, and that game can be a bad game, and they'll just keep rolling you out there. And here we are, la di But I have some overall thoughts to check in with regarding the Steelers. And the first one is in regards, actually, to that Patriots game. So we've talked a lot about on this podcast about rooting for a team to lose or rooting for tanking. And there's been a a lot of talk about that on Twitter recently. Should you try to intentionally lose more games in order to get a better draft pick which can then, of course, lead you to have far higher odds um, of getting a better quarterback or getting a better team. We talked about it on the podcast over the years. So what we generally have come to is this. You can't tank. And I know that there are teams like the Bengals or the Browns. The Browns failed over and over and over again with their tanking. They repeatedly drafted in the top 10. But then you turn around and you look at what they have right now and they have a really good team as a result of, you know, having ridiculously high picks and a lot of money to spend. Say what you want about the Deshaun Watson decision to sign him in the middle of all that stuff and how that's worked out for him. Maybe it's karma, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the Browns. Maybe it's Maybelline, baby. But sure, I see that there are arguments for it, but Papa Tom and I have long surmised that losing can do more long-term damage to a franchise than we may realize in the moment because it can fracture the foundation of a team. It can actually completely dissolve and eradicate the foundation of the team. Look at the Bears. Like, why are they trading Roquan Smith when they traded him? Why are they trading a second-round pick for a Chase Claypool? They're freaking out. They could have had a core to kind of go into this 2024 with, but all these teams are incredibly impatient. You know, the, the Panthers are impatient. You destroy your core, and... With the Steelers, where they left off last year was, 
hey, this is a team that's trending upwards. They're six and two over their last eight games. Now there's just some defined holes that they can fill in and they can become a real contender. Now, of course, they completely dropped the ball this year and they regressed, you know, for many different reasons. But going into this year, there was reason for optimism because there is some level of culture instilled in the team. And I do think the exception to tanking would be if your season is already lost and let's say you got four games left in the year and you only have one win. At that point, the end is in sight. I don't know how much morale you're going to salvage by winning or trying to win one of those games or two of them or whatever it is. And you're already at the finish line. Like just finish the job, finish the tank and get Joe Burrow instead of Tua. Like finish the job and you know, goes on and on. Yada, yada. Trevor Lawrence instead of Zach Wilson or whatever it is. But that being said, the Steelers are not in that position. And another element as a fan rooting for tanking, it's actually quite difficult when you're watching the game because all week you're discouraged because this is, our, this is our life. This is the life we chose. We are DNA connected to the success of the Steelmen and it can be discouraging when not only are they bad, but they're just downright boring to watch for the past five years. I don't care if you're, you're bad and you at least score two touchdowns a game, but the Steelers legitimately cannot score two touchdowns a game on a consistent basis. So massive issue there. Um, but when you watch them, you might be mad all week. All right, I want us to just screw it, blow everything up, fire Tomlin draft a quarterback high, we can really get someone in here, and the whole modern NFL revolves around having a ridiculously good quarterback, and the rules make it so much easier for the teams. I hope we lose. And then the game starts, and you're like, I don't want to lose. I hate the Patriots. I hate them with every fiber of my being. I want to beat them. And the game kind of goes on, and you sort of cheer for a win, and even if you can pull one out, it sort of becomes a fun use of your time. Now, if you're a Steelers fan, that fun is really a, a... In real time, it's like a 17-minute segment of the fourth quarter after you've watched the worst game of your life, and then these Steelers games inevitably inevitably get kind of exciting in the very end of the game. And then you win, you're kind of like, oh, that was nice. I can see some things we have to look forward to. We have a young corner who's going to be a star in Joey Porter. We have this Keanu Benton. Man, it's fun watching TJ Watt's career, yada, yada, yada. So it's hard to root for the loss in the moment. And for me, it's, it's been a little bit difficult doing that until this Patriots game where this was the first game coming off of the heels of a predictable but truly depressing loss to the 2-10 and 10 Cardinals because the Steelers were feeling themselves after their unbelievable 16-point outburst against a Jake Browning-led Cincinnati Bengals team with a bludgeoned defense that hasn't done that well that this year. Anyways, you know, the Steelers lose that Cardinals game. And at this point, you've realized, okay, the Steelers are in a bad spot. The Steelers are bad. Well, the Steelers are aggressively mediocre, I'll say that. You know, they are a purgatory team destined to be one game on either side of 500 and get blown out in the playoffs unless they draw a lucky straw in the playoffs where they play, you know, a team that shouldn't be there. And then they can get blown out in the second game. We know what the Steelers are. They haven't changed. But we had to give them some slack, even though a lot of fans didn't want to, after Ben Roethlisberger's elbow exploded and he turned into old man Ben. So basically you lose your superstar quarterback. You lose every single member of that elite offensive line. You lose 
Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Martavis Bryant, Juju Smith-Schuster, Eli Rogers. You lose literally every player on a dominant offense, and then you, you get Hayward and Watt, you know, still from the defense, which sucked in that era anyways. But it's just unrealistic to think that, oh, the Steelers, well, they're Alabama. They're just going to recruit the next guys. No, the league is designed. So once you lose that franchise guy and every other player that went with him, it's going to take multiple years to fill those spots. That's 11 right there that I just, what did I name, like 14 or 15 of the offensive starters? You're not going to get those in one offseason. It's kind of ridiculous to even hit on three guys in a draft, let alone, all right, we're just going to hit on five each year, yada, yada. Yeah, it's going to take a few years to rebuild. So you have to give Tomlin, Colbert, Kahn, the Roonies, whoever you may want to lump into that, you got to give them a few years to recover from that. Okay, and so last year, it's a gross-looking year. They kind of get better at the end, and now everything is ready. The table is set. They have the highest-paid defense in the league, I guess the third highest at, at this point now. But um, And they got the second-year quarterback. You, you know, your Hall of Fame players are 34 and, and about to be 30 years old in T.J. Watt, and it's time to go. And the Steelers definitively got worse this year. They got worse. Zeus, Zeus is dreaming over there. Sorry. I don't think you're supposed to wake them up while they're dreaming. The dog's he's an Australian shepherd. He's getting after it right now. He doesn't know I'm podcasting, but he's sort of, sort of twitching a little bit. He's getting after it. That's all right. But the team got worse, and you just realize that they're losing in the same way. They have plateaued offensively, defensively, sort of culturally. Of course they're going to lose the one o'clock home game to the NFC team that they don't see very much that has only won two games this year because that's what the Steelers do. They can win the night games unless they're playing a really good team and they're going to lose the games that don't have a lot of juice to them. Okay, so we are in a holding pattern. The Steelers need to be shocked out of this. I actively need them to lose this Patriots game if anything's going to change because it took historic offensive ineptitude for the Steelers to force Mike Tomlin into firing Matt Canada. And I do believe they forced him into doing it based on his press conference and his track record. But his press conference after they fire Matt Canada, he basically said, I feel like a coward because my job is supposed to shield the my assistant coaches and my players from this type of criticism, given the fact that they follow me as their leader. So I can't be throwing people under the bus. And then furthermore, he sort of he implied that Mike firing the offensive coordinator sort of makes it look like he's he's passing the buck on the blame, saying, well, it's not my fault that we suck on offense. It's this guy's fault. And so it's admirable that Mike, you know, has that policy, but it's become clear that over the years, those tendencies of his, his necessary, brash, unshakable confidence has now probably cross the line into sort of belligerent denial of reality. You know, all these strategies, all these hirings and picks that he made where in the moment when he was making those picks and everybody on earth knew the Steelers were going to draft Najee Harris, Mason Rudolph, Kenny Pickett. Everybody knew it. Everybody on the earth said, this is not a good use of resources. You got an offensive coordinator as truly not just no record, no track record of success, but kind of a bad reputation. Then you got a quarterback who's not a first-round quarterback, but sort of de facto kind of got thought of that way because of a down year in the quarterback class. And also there's this 
funny little pit connection. And we know that's a Steelers thing. If you're a brother or if you're a local hero, like you're coming to the Steelers. And then Najee Harris, you know, drafting a running back in the first round when you were not even remotely close to the Super Bowl window. Nobody in their Those moves were panned when they happened. This isn't revisionist history. But for all of those things, he says, ah, it's, I just think it's going to work. And so he does them anyways. And there's no pressure of the guy getting fired because that's the Steelers' way. And there's no pressure being pushed against what he does because the track record of success has been pretty great. And I'll say this. The biggest like black mark on his coaching record to me was the fact that he and the staff failed to field an even competent defense during the Killer Bees era. Like, you have to give him credit for creating that Killer Bees offense. And a lot of people don't do it. And they say, oh, the, you know, he didn't draft Ben. Ben played for like two or three years under, you know, Cower or whatever it was. You know, he was part of his development and switching over from, from Arians to Haley. We all thought Ben was going to have a 10-year career at the rate he was being sacked. And he really did evolve under Todd Haley. It took kind of two years of um, eight and eight records with that young money crew. But Ben did evolve. So you do have to give Tomlin credit for that. And we know that he has a massive hand in obtaining the players and the coaches and everything. And so he had a massive hand in creating that killer bees offense. And yeah, they had some downfalls in terms of not having elite play calling. You know, Haley was decent. They didn't have elite play calling and they kind of just wanted to win based off of pure athleticism alone, which is the Steelers way. It always has been, but guess what? They were very successful in doing that. And a lot of fans want to say you didn't win enough during that era. Well, I don't know if you expect the Steelers to beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. But to me, that is an absolutely ridiculous assumption. Like, you just think, oh, it's the Steelers. They should win. You're not winning without, like, the the Chiefs aren't winning those Super Bowls without, well, the Super Bowl with Hill and Kelsey. Like, if Kelsey misses the Super Bowl last year, guess what? They're not winning it. You know, Stafford, they're not winning the, the Super Bowl in L.A. if Cooper Cup gets hurt. It's just part of the game. It's, it's bad luck, man. And then they play another game. You know, AB, the Killer Bees get knocked out of all these playoff games, and then the big, you know, thumbs down was losing to the Jaguars, but people pretend like that Jaguars team sucked. They got robbed from winning a Super Bowl themselves. They, they beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game with one of the worst calls in history. Tell me, you know, drink if you've heard that one before with Miles Jack returning the fumble for a touchdown. That Jacksonville team was amazing. And to me, you know, it was more about the defense blowing that game. And, oh, Ben threw, had two turnovers in the first half. The guy had accounted for six touchdowns. <laughs> six touchdowns against one of the best teams we've ever seen. So let me zoom back out here. I'm saying the criticism of Mike Tomlin not winning in the playoffs, not winning another Super Bowl, I thought was a little ticky-tack, you know, during that Killer Bees era. And I, I felt like as a frustrated fan base who doesn't truly watch the other teams play that often. You know, the fact that the 49ers haven't won one right now is kind of shocking, right? No, it's not. It's, it, it's so hard to win the Super Bowl. And it takes so much injury luck and schedule luck and quarterback luck. But the Patriots kind of blew our minds into pieces over that idea. You know, even the Chiefs, like, to win that first Super Bowl, they got to convert a third and 15, a third and 17, or maybe it was fourth down or whatever it was. You know, these things barely won the last one, too. You're just inches away from 
people want to say, oh, the Chiefs are a choke artist. It's just, it's hard to win in the playoffs. It's hard to win a Super Bowl. But if you put a good team together, you're going to have these little four-year windows where you're going to have a better chance than in any other window. Like, people must forget what it was like to watch Peyton Manning's Colts because that was the best team we'd seen. And then just somehow the, the Patriots would outlast them, although I guess Peyton beat them more in the playoffs. You know, Aaron Rodgers, that team only makes it in one Super Bowl, yada, yada, yada. So that's my long long story short of saying that track record's hard to kill Tomlin over. If you want to be extra picky, you can. But what's happened since then is now crystallizing and solidifying as, oh, crap, this is a failure. This is a pass or fail, and you're failing right now. So we said, wait and see, wait and see. End of 2022, okay. Despite all these kind of odd moves and hirings and draft picks that you've made, it looks like the Steelers are kind of looking like the old school Steelers again. They're, they're running the ball. They got this toughness. They got these big personalities that everybody knows about. Oh, look at that. They got another superstar receiver in George Pickens. How do they keep doing this? Looks like they're going to get better. Well, they got a lot worse. They got a lot worse. They absolutely suck. You cannot put them on TV. And these are all results deriving from decisions that were universally panned at the time that he made them, and it did not work. And by the way, you're, you're ruining the window because Hayward is coming to the end. TJ Watt's 30. Minka Fitzpatrick, he's a safety, and he's 28 or 29 or something next year. Like, you, the receivers, I will be shocked. I will be genuinely surprised if George Pickens is on the team next year. I don't want to be a super negative guy here, but... It just feels like it's heading that way. And honestly, of course, Pickens' antics, you know, the tantrum, the Instagram thing, those are lame. But at the same time, the Steelers are actively ruining the guy's career. They're Like, whether you like it or not, the guy's going into year three of a four-year contract, and they can't – he just set a record. I don't know what it was, but it's basically like five catches for 19 yards is like the worst style line ever. Let's just put it that way. That's what the record was. You see the passing chart – that on half of the teams, if not more, in the league, this guy will be a true star. Pickens already is like a famous star because of how good he is and the limited opportunities that he would get. But the Steelers are are lighting his money on fire. Like I've always pointed out, Juju lost tens of millions of dollars because he stayed with the Steelers and they made him run a bunch of one-yard drag routes in his final year and his final couple of years, and his numbers tanked. And so he lost, everyone thought like this is a $60 million a year guy at the time. That's where the market was for a high-end number two, low-end number one. And he kept his mouth shut the whole time and his whole career changed. He lost a ton of money. That's what's happening to Pickens. So that's where we're standing right now with Mike Tomlin. And like, it's a fail right now. So what has to be done? The, the talk has finally come. They need to fire him. They're not going to fire him. They're not going to fire him. And I don't, necessarily think they need to fire him, but I do think the Steelers need to realize that they're not just a few pieces away. They're not just a few tweaks away. They can't score 14 points in a game, right? And their defense has issues too. I could care less about defense, truly. And they should start taking that attitude as well because it's not 1999 and it sure as hell ain't even 2012. Like, the game has changed. Yes, of course you need a good defense, but you need that long after you have a good quarterback, offensive coordinator, and just offense in general. Like, Ben Johnson and Jared Goff, you know, they've had a couple bad weeks, but, like, 
and Detroit, those guys aren't world beaters, but they're adequate and they can get it done, right? I'm not saying you need Mahomes and Reed, but you do need to get more than 14 points in a game. Okay, so here's what needs to happen, in my opinion. And a lot of people have expressed this, and the true question, I have a, here are a few true questions. Number one is, can a tiger change his stripes? Can a, you know, is it a zebra, tiger? I don't know. Can you change? Can a man, can a human being change? I think yes. <laughs> so, Weidel and Khan, Khan and Weidel, and Rooney need to approach Tomlin and say, hey, we got to take some of the power from you, buddy. And they definitely don't need to say it like that. <laughs> but there needs to be a come to Jesus of, hey, Tomlin, I think all the things that make him an elite motivator and coach are, are still there. But here's what reality is, is in the NFL, there are decisions you make that will yield consequences for years, which is why I was so bummed when they took Kenny Pickett. And I'm not trying to crap all over Kenny Pickett. Again, super likable guy, but I just knew when they took him, they were banking on him being a historical outlier. Like, okay, I'm not going to go over it a million. I'm not going to try and beat that to death like I have on the podcast, but not a super bona fide first round player. So a lot of things were going to need to go right for him to work out. And especially when you come out of watching Ben Roethlisberger for 17 years and realizing how hard it is even for you know, a six, five God with a rocket arm, elite scrambler, like even for that to, to really have a great offense every single year, like it's hard. And so there are decisions that you make that yield consequences for years at a time. And Bill Belichick seeing it and Mike Tomlin seeing it and Tomlin's hires and draft picks and vision of how he would build this post Ben Roethlisberger team has Yielded a lot of success. As much as people don't want to say it, this team looks a lot better if they have Kirk Cousins at the helm next year. You know, a player is a really good quarterback. We're not saying you're getting Patrick Mahomes or whatever, but also, by the way, I, I see some people crapping on Kirk Cousins on Twitter. It's like, what awesome team have you ever seen Kirk play with that makes you treat him like Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, oh, you can't win a Super Bowl with this guy. That's kind of crazy. But a lot of things that Tomlin has done, has resulted in a roster that has that's pretty impressive and does some things well, but they're kind of falling apart right now. And you gotta you gotta lay in that bed. I mean, I think Bill Belichick hiring Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to be the offensive coordinator in the second year of Mac Jones's career destroyed the Patriots as we know them right now. Like Mac Jones had a fun, truly phenomenal rookie year, and it's not just oh they won they went to the playoffs he threw touchdowns. You watch the guy play and he's going one two three reads boom accurate aggressive, in the pocket, doesn't care about what's around him. And he made a highly questionable move, just like Tomlin did with the three big moves I kind of talk about and whatever you want to say about the choices of how to build the offensive line and yada, yada. And those decisions, they lock you in for a while because now the Steelers are not getting an elite quarterback. It's not happening in this window with TJ Watt and even think about Isaac Siamalu and, you know, Jalen Warren's on year two, like Jalen Warren's in his prime. There's a lot of stuff right now that's set for the Steelers, but they are now not going to, you know, the t time is of the essence. Let's just put it that way. And so the brass needs to be able to uh, not even really approach him. You got to kind of tell him like, hey, this is a team effort and we kind of want to do X, Y, and Z and we can't just keep stubbornly doing the same strategies over and over again. We're going to pick a list of offensive coordinators. Right, you're not going to hire a buddy this time. We're going to look at guys, 
And then we will co- collaborate with you on who you would like to work with the best. Cause I think it's just unrealistic to say, you're just going to assign him a guy. And I also think it's unrealistic to just assume, Oh, Tomlin's a bozo and he can't get it right at all. No, but you do need to take more of the control because Tomlin clearly has had more of that in recent years and it has not worked. That doesn't mean it's never going to work again. Tom Brady sort of slumped 2010, 11. What was it? Sort of those years. Like he was kind of, not playing as well. People couldn't talk about it, you know, because of the resume. Then he switches his throwing motion to the Aaron Rodgers throwing motion and re-explodes in his career and has the incredible, you know, second and third acts or third and fourth or whatever you want to say. So they need to sort of take the control from him. And I think that there are signs that that can happen. Number one, the draft they had this year with all the trading. Number two, forcing him to fire Matt Canada midseason, which he would not have done had they not have forced him to do it, in my opinion, based on the press conference that I outlined earlier. And by the way, the fact that he wouldn't have done it is, is yet another sign of, hey, 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 these stubborn tactics you have, this bullish, like, nobody thinks these strategies are going to work, but they're just dumb and impatient, and I'm just going to hold the line, and it's going to work eventually. That's the problem. The lack of pressure from the Steelers allowing him to do that, that's the problem. He might not have to face the music the way he should if there was more pressure on him, right? So that's one thing you got to do. So that's one big question is like, how are they going to kind of force him to evolve? Much like how Mike Tomlin forced Ben Roethlisberger to evolve with Todd Haley. And it was a messy first two years with Haley. Eight and eight, two years in a row, and then they exploded into the Killer B era in 2015, right? My other question is this. I know everyone wants to talk about the Eagles and Andy Reid, and letting him go and how there's this narrative, hey, sometimes it just runs its course and you got to let a guy go. I don't think that you can actually prove that that's the truth. Like, I know that that's a nice packaged story, but are we really saying definitively that Andy Reid wouldn't have made another amazing team in Philly? Because, look, first off, the teams expire. It's just what I said with Ben and that offensive line. Like, They don't just stay the same players forever. You lose them to free agency, and then guys get older, and they get not as good. The Eagles went to four NFC championships in a row and a Super Bowl. That that bar is so laughably high that now all he's Andy Reid's compared to in Philly is that bar. And then if you don't make it for a few years, which, by the way, like we outlined on the podcast, a few years is what it's going to take to completely – overhaul your sick team. You went to four NFC championship games in a row. I promise you, your talent is going to get less and less with those draft picks. And as Brian Dawkins gets older, Alito Shepard and all Donovan McNabb and Brian Westbrook and all these guys, like you're going to get worse. The league is designed to make you get worse. And, and who's to say that he wouldn't have been able to raise another great team in Philly but you kind of got to give him the time. Well, the Steelers have given Mike the time, and he has done a good job in certain portions. This isn't Cleveland. This isn't Carolina. You know, but there's some things that just objectively haven't worked out. So that's my other thing. I, you know, I've always been an, a super loyal Tomlin believer to the death guy. I think hopefully I've been able to outline some of the reasons in this podcast why I think objectively he shouldn't get a good grade right now. But I also want to stay connected to reality <laughs> and you can talk about the stories of how the Eagles were bold enough 
to change their coaches. And now they've made two other Super Bowls with different coaches. Uh, the, the 49ers have made Super Bowls with multiple coaches, you know, after firing Jim Harbaugh with how that relationship went sour. You know, that was shocking at the time. It's like the dude wins like 75% of his games and you're firing him. And then they sucked. They got Jim Tom Sula. They got a couple of different – Chip Kelly for a second. Both teams had Chip Kelly at some point or another. And then eventually they land on Kyle Shanahan. And, but then again, you also have the Jets and you have the Browns and you have the Panthers and you have all these other teams who try and try and try again and try again and it doesn't work out. My point from last week's podcast was another uh, comparison to the Eagles and the 49ers, but that was more in relation to how they handle offense and how they handle their quarterback and how decisive they were and not just waiting and waiting and waiting like the Jets with Zach Wilson or the Giants with Daniel Jones or kind of like how it was with Jameis for a while. Like I know Jameis threw 30 interceptions that one year, but he also threw 30 tuds, and they said, give us Tom Brady now. (laughs) We know that we have the passing yards and touchdowns leader, but give us this guy. You know, the Eagles, MVP, should have gotten it if he didn't get hurt. Would have gotten it for sure. Carson Wentz, just signed him to a lucrative deal, still let him go. Draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. That's probably kind of what the Steelers should be looking at this year to bring in competition for Kenny, whether it's Kirk and maybe even sits behind Kirk and learns a little bit, settles down, whether it's like Penix in the second round or whatever it is. But they were bold enough to do that. You know, San Francisco got to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. They replace him. And they try to they draft the guy in the top three. Biggest trade ever. Sort of humiliating to move on from that. They didn't hesitate. You know, they got Brock. They found a guy who was better. Little diamond in the rough situation. But they also got rid of the other guy. Like, all right, this did not work. Because I don't think there's any of us out there who think that Trey Lance, poor guy, is going to be a good quarterback. But sometimes when you're in your own building or you're a fan of a team, you keep tricking yourself into it because you're just studying them with a microscope. And you're like, well, look at that throw. That throw was sick. And it's hard to zoom out and be like, has there ever been really like a good game, like a dominant game? And you kind of look around at the other quarterbacks and you see, yeah, it's not, it's not rocket science to have a few dominant games here or there. So, you know, that's my thought. I don't think that they need to fire Tomlin, but I think that some major changes and shakeups need to occur. I do think that there have been signs that those shakeups can happen. I don't think that it does the Steelers any good to intentionally lose or to lose any of these games uh, coming up over the rest of the season. I know if they lose the three or four games or whatever they have left, so they'll get a higher draft pick. We'll be sitting here in April or you know when the draft rolls around and somebody will draft a great player four picks ahead of us <laughs> and we'll be like, if only they lost those four games. I think that that's a little bit revisionist history because I think if the Steelers lose every game for the rest of the season, which hell, with Mitch Trubisky playing, they could, but I don't think they will. Again, that would be very untomlin-like, sort of a annoying reality right now. Like, well, he will, he will win some of these games. <laughs> we just want him to start winning the big games again. But uh, I, I think that the cracks to the, to the culture in the Steelers locker room, which we have seen in massive way, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick's comments this week, people don't want to toil for it. Poet Minka Fitzpatrick, people don't want to toil for it. I think those cracks could become pretty significant fissures, and I think that that, is, that does more harm than good, and you're sort of wandering the desert and really crossing your fingers at that point. But, um, you know, I'm willing to admit it, though, as well. If, if Maybe Tomlin does need to be fired. I never thought I would hear myself say the word, but... I do think that uh, there is a very believable path forward of, of tweaking what they're doing and kind of shocking him awake and uh, using some of the other big brains you have at your disposal with Eric Weidel and Omar Khan 
And, uh, yeah, let's see what they do going forward. So, bummer of a loss, but I, I truly don't think so. Like, that's my version of tanking, that loss to the Patriots, because you already lost to the 2-10 and 10 Cardinals. Like, train's already off the rails. That second one of the Patriots solidifies, hey, we need to do something. Because I know the Steelers usually win that Patriots game in the last minute, and they dilute themselves into thinking, what another gritty win? And you forget that it's against a worthless team, right? So hopefully they've been shocked into some action, and uh, hopefully we see a little bit of a better product going forward. Obviously, Steelers playing the Colts this week. Looks like TJ Watt's going to be out. Looks like Alex Highsmith might be out as well. Um, Mitch Trubisky is still starting. Tomlin, and sort of the fire argument, said that he won't be starting Mason Rudolph because basically he hasn't gotten a lot of snaps, which is just truly insane. Like Mason Rudolph's in his like fifth year or something like that. He'll be fine. You can put him out there. I mean, I think a lot of people could get out there and do what Mitch Trubisky does. But once again, stubborn, sinking ship. Well, we paid Mitch $10, $10 million. I have this vision of him being good. He got better over the course of the game last week. Okay, great. So he wasn't the worst quarterback we've ever seen. He's the worst quarterback we've seen this year now. <laughs> it's just ridiculous to get the tunnel vision over that kind of stuff. So annoying, but going to be tough against the Colts. Let's hope the Steelers get it together after that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had some other thoughts about general NFL, but this went longer than I thought. So hit me up on Twitter, at Steelers Outpost, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye.